It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah. Down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Good morning. Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law Only on K News 98.5. I'm Stu Jenkins. I grew up in San Luis Obispo County, and as a lawyer, I've tried cases here since 1978. It has been my privilege to serve many times as Superior Court Special Master and as your elected Harbor Commissioner at Port San Luis. Here at Slow County Public Policy and the Law, we pull back the curtain on state and local public policy by bringing in officials, lawyers, and activists working on your behalf. Last week, I had the rare privilege of interviewing two of the young reporters working at the San Luis Obispo County Tribune newspaper about how local journalism has been changing. Uh, The irony was I was interviewing interviewers. Uh, We had scheduled today a very interesting talk with legal historian Mr. Michael Nolan. March 30th is the 175th anniversary of the end of the Mexican-American War when the U.S. Senate's ratified treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was delivered to the Mexican government. That treaty set the framework for the admission of California to the Union and imposed protections of property rights and religious rights. One huge aspect of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was that the U.S. Senate accepted provisions guaranteeing equal rights of women and men in marriage and the right of a woman to inherit, buy, sell, and own property. In the rest of the United States of America, women did not enjoy those rights. So I hope you'll all celebrate this 175th anniversary of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. But the courts intervened to prevent lawyer Mike Nolan from appearing in what may seem an unusual way. Jury duty is a responsibility and privilege of citizenship, and Mr. Nolan was called on to perform that duty, so he is not here today. Well, that gave me the opportunity to continue our focus on the importance of local journalism. Local newspaper and radio journalism does not just give citizens information about the police blotter or what cities, community services districts, and county officials say they are doing for you. Local newspaper and radio journalists, if properly supported by their community, investigate behind the curtain to check on whether public officials are telling the public the truth in their media releases. So this hour, we are privileged to hear from Ms. Karen Veeley, who is the senior investigative journalist for the internet-based newspaper, CalCoastNews.com. Welcome to the show, Ms. Veely. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, you're very welcome here. And uh, thank you for coming on short notice when Mr. Uh, Nolan got called for jury duty. Um, could you give our listeners a brief history of when CalCoast.com, excuse me, CalCoastNews.com got started? It was back in 2008. I had worked at the New Times and left over a tiff about having a story about Kelly Gearhart pulled because he was such a nice man in the community. 
So I stayed out of media for a while, and actually another radio host, Dave Congleton, called to ask a question about news in the area. And he said, you really need to get back into the news because no one's covering these things with you gone. Well, and in fact, it was uh, your reporting that got uh, Mr. Gerhardt prosecuted by the federal authorities, wasn't it? It was my reporting, but it was a little bit more than that. After, when I gave my resignation to the New Times, I asked permission to, um, because the story had been cut, to turn my evidence over to um, uh, federal officials. And I actually drove down to L.A. and met several federal officials at the Wilshire building and explained what I had found. And that started the investigation. Uh, again, I wasn't even a reporter at the time. But then when I got back into reporting, I was able to make it much more substantial. And, and uh, before CalCoastNews.com uh, adopted that name, it had another name, didn't it? We started off with Uncovered Slow. And um, I, I know some of the people who subscribed to calcosnews.com were put off a little bit by the name uh, uh, originally when you started to accept subscriptions um, because they thought that was a uncovered slow might be a porn site. <laughs> uh, isn't that right? We did have some people uh, mention that they thought it was porn. <laughs> and I thought at the time, this is not a good thing to have as a name. <laughs> well, and, and so that, uh, that's what happened to that name. <laughs> um, well, uh, I know that your background is such that, like Ms. Stephanie Zappelli of the Tribune, you graduated from Cal Poly with a degree in journalism. Yes. And um, who were your mentors at that journalism department? I really think George Ramos was the, the person I looked up to the most. And actually, after I... I went to work for the, um, we, we started Cal Coast News, and George Ramos, he was a three-time Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter and editor of the L.A. Times. He was the first Hispanic to win three Pulitzers. So George had, um, was the chair of the department at Cal Poly, and after I started Cal Coast News, he asked me to sit down and talk to him. And he said, you got a great thing going, you're, you're uncovering things, but you need an editor. And I said, we can't afford an editor right now. And he said, I'll work for beer. And <laughs> now, it's a long tradition in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> so we would, uh, we would meet at a little bar in Morro Bay when I had a story to edit. He wanted me to show up at the bar at a certain time. And we would sit there. And he was a tough editor. And he was, I don't like that. You fix that. And sometimes I'd argue back and people would move away from both of us. <laughs> well, that's, uh, like I say, it's a long tradition in journalism. Um, uh, uh, I had the privilege of running one of the longest, actually, I think it was the longest running uh, underground newspaper at San Luis High back in the uh, 70s, early 70s, uh, since that's when I graduated. But... Um, Later on, I had the privilege of going back to Washington, D.C. as a uh, reporter for the Telegram Tribune. Wow. Uh, and uh, just on one story, I went back to cover the uh, 100th birthday of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, the beer story reminds me of this. Uh, after going to three different congressional offices to get sponsored so that I could get into the press gallery, uh, once I had a letter from a congressman who was not even my congressman. Um, 
uh, I got to see the dean of the press corps. And I had my letter, and he he saw the letter. He decided I was legitimate. I had my credentials from George Brand at the Tribune. And he reached down, pulled out the bottom drawer of this old wooden desk, and there were two things in the bottom of that drawer. One was a small set of cards that were credentials, and he wrote one out for me. The other was a gallon jug of gin. And uh, I got the impression from uh, being in the press gallery that a lot of the, uh, the reporters that were up there had been by that desk at different times. But that, that's an aside. I, I wanted to talk about uh, the, your processes now. Um, you, you've never published any kind of a paper newspaper. Your newspaper is entirely online. Yes, and probably 25, 30 years ago, they, they came out and researchers said, first of all, magazines are going to be gone. And think about it, most magazines are gone. And they said years after that, most newspaper paper copies will be gone. And as we are noticing, um, the Tribune doesn't, doesn't have a delivered paper anymore. They mail the papers. More and well, more they, papers. They, they're, they're delivering papers, I think, until the end of uh, next month okay. to the few people who are still getting it in a paper form. And there are major papers that no longer have a written paper at this point. And the, the goal is to get it online. It's quicker. It's more efficient. It's cheaper. There are many reasons to do it. But I, I had a number of people that begged me, you got to put out a paper copy. And I thought, why would I do what's ending? Okay. All right. Well, now, uh, the one thing that I wanted to do was talk about some of your recent stories and the processes that you've gone through in order to, to generate those stories for the public. Um, and I, I thought I would start with your May 15th, and, and folks, I print these out so that I can look at them and read them. Um, you can do that, too, on your computer. Uh, Calcos News, May 15th, 2023 article. The headline is, Who are the highest paid slow county officials, comma, employees, question mark. And it has a nice big picture of the Board of Supervisors at the top. And um, how did you how did you go about generating this particular story? Well, we, we have regularly done stories on wage changes. And we've... We've done these type of stories um, for more than a decade. But generally, they, the law now makes um, government officials report income and benefits of government-paid employees and officials. It, it runs a little late. I think it's actually due sometime in June every year. And you go to Transparent California, which pulls it from the state website and puts the numbers up, and you can look and see how much people are paid and the differences in wages. And one of the things that a lot of people aren't realizing, the new way they do wages generally is they say, we're going to compare to these five counties. So staff picks five counties generally that have very high wages, and then they say, wait, we're near the bottom. We need a boost. And then Joe over here that was on the top, within about a year he's going down, he needs a boost because these guys are getting more than we are. And it's a never-ending circle of pay raises for the elite. This is not for staff. Oh, no. The staff uh, last time got, uh, depending on their bargaining unit, uh, 
one percent, one and a half percent increase. Uh, some of them got two percent. Yes, and at the same time, you have you have um, officials, managers, department heads getting as much as twenty percent a year. It's it's ludicrous if you look at the the difference. Well, but but uh, here's what my question: How did you generate this particular story? Did you uh, did you interview any of the officials? Uh, did you watch the meeting of the board of supervisors? Uh, where some of these happened, or were you pu- simply pulling these from public records so that the public would know? A little bit of everything. I watched the meetings on Tuesday. I looked at the agenda and noticed they, the Board of Supervisors wanted a 26% increase in pay when um, department has received substantial increases uh, last July. And I then went to Transparent California and pulled documents. And the, the the other thing going on is I have been doing this for some time. So I remember when John Pashan said, I'm not going to take a raise. He has never taken a raise. He gets the cost of living that goes through. But since he was put in office, he actually hasn't taken a raise. Other people say that, and then they, they don't do it for six months, and they take the raise and try to make it look like they didn't. But he actually has not taken the raise. Well, and I, I think in this last pay raise, uh, Jimmy Paulding announced that he would not actually accept the increased amount. Uh, is that something that uh, you expect you're going to be checking on over time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because remember, he also wasn't going to vote to increase pay. Mm-hmm. And it took him, what when he first did it, it said, I can't do this. I just got elected. He waited three months and voted for a 26% pay increase to the Board of Supervisors. Well, folks, we're listening to Karen Veely, who's the senior investigative reporter at calcosnews.com. Um, you can log on to calcosnews.com uh, from your computer. Uh, and just uh, to compare, here I am on old Sawback. I've got the uh, story on paper, and Ms. Veely is looking at it on her smartphone. Um, but I, there were some things about this story I thought uh, – bore some uh, comparisons. I, I know the Tribune also had a pretty good story uh, written by Ms. Zappelli uh, concerning the pay raises, and um, I believe uh, Supervisor Don Ortiz Leg was uh, letting folks know that she thought that they had a good system now where they'd get paid approximately half of what a superior court judge gets paid. Um, and, and you know, the, there's some sensibility to having a benchmark. Uh, whether that's the right one or not is a policy decision for people. But um, one of the things I thought I would do is I, I just went and looked at some of the public records to compare. So a, uh, according to your story, uh, Bruce Gibson's increase is going to amount to a uh, 156000 $196 a year, um, whereas, so there are some differences here. Uh, John Pashong's pay will be $128,486 a year. The other uh, three supervisors are going to have s- mm, figures in the middle of that. Now, the Assembly Speaker of California yeah. only gets... $137,655 a year, according to uh, state 
records. And we're talking pay without benefits. I want to. Really, that's that's what this is. This is all yeah. pay without benefits on both. I want to correct comparison. one thing. Yeah. John Pashan isn't taking the raise. He's getting paid eighty six thousand one hundred fifteen dollars a year, and that's what he's staying at at oh, this point. Well, that's what he says he's staying at. He, well, he's done it for eight years. Well, okay, more power <laughs> to him. And uh, a member of the state assembly, who is not the speaker. And a member of the state senate, who represents twice as many people, they they spend they represent over a million people. Um, they only get one hundred nineteen thousand seven hundred and two dollars compared to, uh, according to these pay raises, the lowest paid supervisor in our county will be getting more than that one hundred twenty eight thousand four hundred eighty six. And their argument. This was the argument made by Bruce. Don Ortiz Lake, Bruce Gibson, Don Ortiz Lake, and Jimmy Paulding, we're not going to be able to attract decent people unless we pay more. It was, the, and staff put the same argument in their staff report. So, so are they saying that the people in the state assembly aren't decent people? Well, people, they spent almost 500000 trying to get in this job. This isn't that they're not getting paid enough. They battled to take these jobs. Well, now uh, let's look at, if, looking down the story, you also list the pay for the highest paid, highest paid 10 county employees, and most of them are directors of, uh, or, or office holders who direct an office. Uh, Wade Horton, uh, of course, it's not Wade Horton anymore, is it? The former county administrator, uh, he was getting paid $400,952 a year. Yes. The governor of the state of California, according to the state records, who, who administers a, a much larger area and much larger population, only gets paid $224,020 a year. And one thing, my numbers in this story do include benefits. So it's a little, it's a little bit different. But I want to point out the mm-hmm. highest one is Daisy Alano Ramos, former mental, mental health director. This was for part-time work. She was paid $545,359 for part-time work, and she was under investigation for the feds for having uh, some uh, participation in the death of Andrew Holland. Really? Well, that, that, uh, that's twice as much as the governor gets. <laughs> um, and I noticed that the uh, county council, uh, according to your story, is paid... Uh, Three hundred ninety-two thousand, well, almost three hundred ninety-three thousand dollars. The district attorney is actually paid less, uh, prosecuting crimes. Uh, three hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars. I'm rounding. The attorney general of the state of California, who is the top law enforcement officer of the state, is only paid one hundred eighty-nine thousand eight hundred forty-one dollars. What do they have? Do, do the board of supervisors express a justification for these uh, county uh, pay rates that are so much higher than the top officials in the state? Well, they, their argument is always we can't attract good people. But think about this: if you are pushing, if you are asking, for example, Bruce Gibson, there were some issues with some things with his house and doing things not going through the proper procedure on permitting. Well, those, those, are, those are separate. Let's, no, this, let's, let's not talk about other issues. Well, no, this let's is talk that about issue. the quality if, of the services and the pay 
um, relative to what the public is getting. Well, let me get at my point. When you have a problem and you've just asked to give this person a 30% pay raise, do you think they're going to back you on that problem? Or are they going to be working for the county when you're deciding you're going to give them huge raises every year? That's my point. Well, that's a suspicion. And uh, that obviously, uh, digging could bring out evidence that maybe that's the case. But, but just, just on the faces of it, the state controller and the state treasurer are paid $175,000 a year. I'm rounding, only a little. The uh, auditor, controller, treasurer of San Luis Obispo County gets $355,000 a year, and I'm rounding down there. Um, so essentially, uh, we have 200 and about 230,000 people in this county, and yet they're paying a lot more for somebody to uh, guard the money at the county than the state of California with 40 million people is paying uh, to guard the money in the state treasury. Um, twice, uh, certainly per capita, a lot more. And remember, this, this comes out of the general fund. And as Debbie Arnold argued not to have the raises, she said we need to be fixing potholes, we need to be taking care of infrastructure, and we need to stop raising salaries when the economy is this bad. Okay, well, our focus is still on money here. I'm going to shift to one of your other stories. This is from May 24th, and it's actually by your uh, CalCoast News reporter, Josh Friedman. Um, and it's about government grants that have come in for water systems in this county. What do you have, uh, Mr. Friedman's process? How does how does he work to generate these? Now, this one is a news brief that was done um, off a press release. When the grants are given, very often government agencies then, then either send out a press release or they publish it on their website. We found this published on their website. We looked at the numbers. And much of this we knew was going to be coming in. For example, Central Coast Blue... They plan on getting, I think, up to 50% of the money to operate this through grants. And they have been very good about asking for the grants. So when we see, see this, we put it up. And Central Coast Blue is a uh, euphemism for a regional sewer plant system and water recycling plant. It's, it's, it's um, not sewer. It's water recycling only. And where is that going to uh, serve? It's going to serve three communities. Pismo Beach, Grover Beach, and Arroyo Grande. Folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're going to be back with Karen Veely of Calcos News in just a few minutes after news.